Good morning. Stand with me if you're able and join in the call to worship. Listen, for the voice of God comes near. Listen, for God's voice is not obtrusive. We come to worship the God who became one of us, who calls us by name, who is love incarnate, who is. Let us gather together in joy and hope. Let us worship the one true and living God who is love. seated. Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning as we gather here to worship the one true and living God. We come into this place with expectations. We also come into this place of worship with a sense of awareness of God's presence that is always with us, but also a heightened awareness as we enter into this place with our brothers and sisters. We want you to know all that are gathered here, but we have come for that purpose. Those who are guests, we especially welcome you. Those of our members who have been away for a while, we welcome you. All gathered here for the same united purpose. 
Southside Baptist Church is a church in the heart of Five Points South. Our mission is building an inclusive community of grace, first in this community and then beyond. And a part of that likely involves you, whoever you are, being a part of this family as we worship together. Today, as we do so, I'd like to ask you to pass the peace of Christ. Just take a moment and those close to you to turn to them or to get up and walk over to them and say, may the peace of Christ be with you. bow with me as we offer a prayer of invocation. Loving and almighty God, in this place we gather. We gather here as kindred spirits, brothers and sisters united in our Lord and Savior. We gather here, O oh Lord, to worship you, but also to bring to you all that we are, all that we have, to pour out our lives, to do so in worship and to experience your presence in a profound way. Receive this time of worship, O oh Lord, for we do seek to worship you in spirit and in truth. Amen. Oh, Jesus, we cry, Lord. 
Our first scripture lesson today is found in the Psalter, Psalm 62, verses 5 through 12. Psalm 62, 5 through 12. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not, let, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what? He is done. Here ends our first lesson. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter, verses 14 through 20. In honor of the Gospel, will you stand for the reading? Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
You may be seated. Good morning, Jack. How are you today? We're good? All right. I wanted to, uh, I want to see if Mr. Paul will come here and help us for just a second. Because I want to talk to you today about something that um, is really important, and we just heard some of it read just a moment ago. Have you ever played follow the leader? You haven't. Warren, have you never had him play follow the leader? <laughs> well, I want to ask you if he'll tell you about it. It would make it a little bit easier if, if your granddad had taught you how to play it. But, <laughs> but we'll, we'll manage anyway. When you play follow the leader, what you do is, if you were looking at Mr. Paul, for instance, you would do exactly what he's doing. You would sort of mimic him. Can you sort of do that? Do exactly, sit exactly like he is right now? Can you lean on your hand and, and lean on his, your hand and cross your legs like, look at there. Now, if he, <laughs> that's right, you cross. Now, if he were to stand up, what would you do? If he were to point at your grandpa, what would you do? <laughs> now, but which arm did you use? What if, what if he sat back down? You know, even though you haven't been taught how to play, you have now. And you know how to play it very well. You did it well. And this is what Jesus said in his scripture, that he's told his disciples to follow him and he will make them fishers of people. What do you think that meant? Do you have any idea? That if we follow him and live like he does, loves everyone that he comes in contact with, shows concern for those people, then we have to, or we should do the same if we're following, right? So if you were following Mr. Paul, for instance, and he reached out and, and gave some, like afterwards, and gave cookies and, and lemonade to someone, what would you do? You would do the same thing, right? If you're following him, if you're, if you're really following exactly what he's doing. Jesus says to us that we are to follow him, not just in the way we walk or the things we point out or the things that we, we think are uh, fun, but also what we believe about who he is and how he relates to other people, especially as he has care and concern for others. So when we see someone that is in need of something, if, they have, uh, if they're hurting, if they have pain, if they're in the hospital, or maybe they're at home sick, we try to say words of encouragement. If they have something they really need, like don't have anything to eat or clothes to wear, what do we do? What do you think? Try to help them? Try to help them? Because isn't that what Jesus would do? He would. So we're following his example and sharing God's love. So now, if I take this and give it to you in just a moment after our prayer, if I give that to you and you follow me, you're going to give some to somebody else, like your little brother, right? Okay. Well, let's thank God that we have the example of Jesus, who is our Savior, to follow so that we can also love and carry out his mission here on earth. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to follow you, the fact that you've called us by name, that we have responded, and that you lead us day by day. 
help us to be sensitive to those around us. Bless Jack as he lives his life. May he see and understand your love for others around him, and may he also do the same. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Mr. Paul, you want to preach for us? come in our prayers for the people this morning. I wonder if you would share with me in these prayers and after each section when I say, Lord, in your mercy, will you respond with, hear our prayer. Let us pray. God of grace, we draw near to you today to pray for all who are disciples of Jesus. We pray that you would fill each one of our minds with a love for your wisdom, that we might follow you in obedience. Help us in the midst of all the challenges of living in our contemporary culture to remind ourselves of your way and keep us close to your will. We pray that your Holy Spirit, who helped Jesus in his living, will pour into our loves, into our hearts, a love for others that transcends human pride, ambition, and selfishness. We pray that we may be true to the example of selfless giving and service shown by our Savior who always sought to heal and restore the broken people in our world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of peace, we pray for a world crying out to feel loved, a world torn apart by conflict and war, a world that lives uneasily in a climate of fear. We pray for a world torn apart by terrorism, a world where division between nations, race, and religion is all too evident. We pray that where power is used to oppress and control, your Holy Spirit will redeem that power to bring freedom to captives and justice for the downtrodden. We pray for a world that needs to know your love, your hope, your peace, your joy, your salvation. A world that needs to know that it is special and uniquely loved by our Father in heaven. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of hope, we pray for our families and friends, our colleagues and neighbors. We pray that in loving and serving those around us in our daily lives, we may see ourselves working with yourself to make the kingdom of your grace, mercy, and peace a reality in the communities in which we live. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Father God, we pray for all who bear the burden of pain, bereavement, anxiety, depression. We pray that each of us may have an awareness that you are the one who bears our burdens, that you are the one who is working towards our healing and wholeness. We pray for all who are suffering this day, we pray for all who are dying. May they know comfort in the midst of anxiety and grant strength and peace to those who care. And may those who pass rest in peace and rise in glory. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
We offered all our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who taught us to pray with confidence, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. My favorite movies of all time, I think, is Chariots of Fire, the story of Eric Liddell, perhaps because it's located in my own homeland, and he was a hero amongst many people in the 20th century. He ran for Britain in the 1924 Olympics. The opening sequence and the concluding sequence is of those who are preparing to run, running across the sands at St. Andrews, an opportunity that all who come on the Scotland trip next July will have for themselves. Not to run, but at least to see where the running took place. Anyway, Little discovered when he went over to Paris that the heats for the race that he was due to run in were going to take place on Sunday. 
And being a very strict Presbyterian, he decided he couldn't run in these heats. And although those in charge tried to convince him otherwise, even the then Prince of Wales failed in what he wanted to do. But a solution was garnered, and he was able to run in the 400-yard race. In that race, somebody before the race gives him a text from Scripture, a runner from the American team, those who honor me, I will honor. And of course, the climax of the, of the movie is that he wins the gold medal. During the movie, his sister Jenny is very concerned that he is somewhat losing a sense of the call of God in his life to be a missionary in China where his parents had served. And in one very moving scene, uh, he says to his sister, Jenny, Jenny, I believe God made me for a purpose, for China. But when I run, God who made me fast, I feel his pleasure. A lot of people that I come into contact with in pastoral life, in student life in particular, talk much often about the call of God. What's the call of God for my life? And they mean, what sense of vocation do I have? And often, a lot of people feel that God has a particular plan for their life all mapped out, and all they've got to do is to find it and to follow it rigorously. I've never believed that that is actually the case. God calls us to make a lot of individual choices, a lot of decisions that we must make, but the main important choices are to follow Him, to hear Him, to hear him say, what does the Lord our God require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Come, follow me. That's the call of God. That's the sense of vocation that all of us have. Whatever we may do with our daily lives, the call of God impinges on the decisions we make and the life that we live. And here in the Gospel of Mark, Mark in his own inimitable way, short, snappy style of writing, tells the story, spare and lean, of Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee and coming upon particular individuals, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John, and saying very simply, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. There's not much there, is there? I mean, had Jesus checked their references? Did he know their SAT scores? All we know is that they weren't praying in the synagogue. They weren't on a silent retreat somewhere. They were in the midst of their daily living, fishermen, working, fishing for fish, or mending the nets. And in the midst of the hard graft of their daily life, God comes and calls them. That reminds me that the call of God comes to us in our daily living, comes to us just where we find ourselves. In the hustle and bustle of everyday life, Jesus says, follow me, because it's in the hustle and bustle of our everyday life that the call of discipleship is made real, to follow God in the office, in the schoolroom, in the hospital, wherever our vocation might be, the call of God 
comes to us. Were they full-time disciples? I don't think so. I don't think they spent every moment of every day walking around Galilee. I think they kept working. Maybe Jesus did as well. I think that their discipleship, their following after Jesus, happens in the midst of their living. And they had to figure out what it meant to be faithful to Him, to follow the call of God for their lives, just as you and I do. Mark suggests that this call is important, it's urgent. He prefaces the story of Jesus walking beside the Sea of Galilee by reminding us of how Jesus comes following the arrest of John the Baptist. That sets the scene. Something serious is happening. John is in prison. He's been baptizing and offering a, a gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus follows him, and Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus doesn't put up a sign-up sheet. He doesn't post office hours so that we come to discuss all the options that are open to us in this following after him. It's pretty blunt. The kingdom of God has come. God is doing something. God has invaded human history. The presence of God is with us. The offer of God is clear. Repent and believe the gospel. In this story, there are four simple verbs that Jesus uses. Repent, believe, follow, and fish. The call to discipleship is somewhat scandalous with unreasonable demands. Jesus doesn't begin by talking about what doctrine we're going to believe. He doesn't even talk about morality. He doesn't talk about these things. He talks about a relationship. He talks about a relationship with God that He has come to bring about that will transform the way in which we live with honesty, integrity, trust, and obedience. But the first thing is to encounter Him. And encounter Him in repentance. Repentance is a word that simply means to change one's mind, to set our lives in a new direction. And yet, it's not a word that we feel comfortable with. King Claudius in Hamlet says, may one be pardoned and retain the offense. Or King Herod in Auden's for the time being, I like committing crimes. God likes forgiving them. Really, the world is admirably arranged. And Jesus comes and upsets the apple cart. Repent. On any list of winning friends and influencing people, repent's not the word that you would normally think about using. It's not on the list. But Jesus uses it first and foremost. Why does Jesus say it? Well, I think for the same reason that Alcoholic Anonymous start the 12-step program with admit that you are powerless and your life has become unmanageable. People will go to all sort of steps to miss that first step. They will spend many years in misery without coming to the point of just admitting that they're in need. That's what repentance is about. Repentance is simply saying to God, I am powerless. My life is unmanageable. I need your help. I need to change. I need to turn around. And this is about today as well. It's about ourselves. There's a Scottish theologian 
Samuel Rutherford, who put it in a very quaint way, he said, break off a piece of sin every day. Or the way in which George Whitfield, the famous American evangelist in America in the 18th century when he came over from England, when he came to his 50th birthday, he said, today I will begin to begin to begin to be a Christian. Our life is full of new beginnings. Our life is full of turning away from something and turning towards God. And here the call is to these fishermen, repent. Not only, not only repent, but believe, believe, trust. Put your life into my care. Sometimes we think about faith and we think about intellectual assent. There is something about the intellect obviously involved in being a Christian, but the first thing is trust. Faith is trusting Jesus, listening to Jesus, and, and in that old-fashioned revival our way of speaking, giving your heart to Jesus. In his book, Credo, William Sloan Coffin wrote, I believe is best translated, I have given my heart to Jesus. Marcus Borg puts it this way, the heart is a metaphor for a deep level of self, a level below our thinking, feeling, and willing. Our heart is deeper than our head. Our head is involved, but our heart is at the very center of our commitment. We're invited to trust Him, to bet everything on Him, to put our confidence that when He says, loving oneself is not the way, but loving others as ourselves is the way. To hear Him say to us, forgive not just seven times or 70 times, but 70 times seven times. His way is not easy. That's why we have to trust Him. That's why when we turn towards Him, we turn from ourselves, but we don't, we don't turn to ourselves. We turn away from ourselves, our own abilities to trust Him and to know that He is the one who will be with us. Repent and believe and, and then follow. It's an interesting passage that Mark writes here. If you look at it carefully, I, I think there's even some class dimension to the story that perhaps we haven't noticed all that often. Jesus calls four people. Andrew and Peter are casting a net in the sea. It's not the most sophisticated way of fishing. They've got their net and they're doing it together and they're walking into the sea and they're casting their net in the sea. There's no extensive equipment. It's a bit of a hit and a miss operation. James and John are different. They're part of the family business. That's why their father Zebedee is mentioned twice within a few verses. They have a boat. It's a business with significant resources. They've even got hired men who are working with them. They've got staff. Maybe even have a HR department. Maybe got conditions of service, discussions about a healthcare program. James and John are middle-class businessmen. Whereas Peter and, Peter and Andrew are working class laborers. God calls all of us, wherever we are, wherever we are in our daily lives, whatever we're doing, the call of God comes and that call has implications for how we live our lives. 
family responsibilities, staff liabilities, zero-hour contracts, long-standing commitments, Jesus says, wherever we find ourselves, follow me. For Jesus, there's no believing without following. Believing is not just a matter of the internal heart. It is that, but it must affect how we live. It's not just a matter of personal thoughts and feelings and experiences, however good they may be. Believing involves following. Following can have huge implications, even an economic impact on a person's livelihood, an enormous social effect on a person's family. I often wonder what Zebedee thought about all this. Are you really thought it through? I mean, who is this guy anyway? A carpenter. And you're going to leave the business to follow him. What about retirement? What about your 401k? Are you really thinking through all the implications? Jesus says, follow me. I love the fact that although they're following him, they're not going to be perfect. (laughs) Mark, indeed, is the gospel that tells us most clearly about the failure of these very disciples. They will argue about having enough food to feed the crowds. Five loaves and two fishes. Well, we might have something to eat, but we're not giving it away to them. And then, of course, there's James and John who decide that as they've left the family business, they should sit at the right hand and the left hand of Jesus, CEO and CFO of the Jesus Company. And then there's Peter. They may all deny you, but I won't, Lord. And before too long, he has denied Jesus with curse and with oaths. But even though they fail, even though they fail and they will fail, the mercy and the grace of God never lets them go. Jesus says, repent. He says, believe. He says, follow. He doesn't anticipate that we're going to get it right every day. Fortunately, the grace of God is always there to meet us in mercy, in love, and forgiveness. Repent, believe, follow, and fish. Fish is a code word in the early church. The Greek word ichthos is the word in Greek for Jesus Christ, Son of God, and Savior. If you look at the front of your bulletin, you'll see the sign of the fish, which was a sign that was used as a kind of code for the early church to reveal to those who were also Christians that they were Christians. It said that in dangerous times, a Christian would, on meeting a, a stranger would draw the upper ark. And if the other stranger drew the other part of the fish, then they agreed that they were Christians. They revealed themselves to each other. In the early centuries of being a Christian, it was hard to follow. Sometimes hard to follow Jesus now. The challenge is different. But the call never to compromise our faith is still the same. The meaning here is very simple. As we follow, our lives will have an impact on others. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. The impact is of bringing others to a knowledge of the grace and the love and the mercy and the goodness of God that has changed our life. 
Now, Jesus is not talking about forcing, manipulating, imposing our worldview upon people, but simply recognizing that we've discovered something that's special, (laughs) and we want to share that with anybody who wants to hear about it. To be a Christian is to follow as best we can, and by our words, but perhaps best of all by our lives, indicate that Jesus Christ has made a difference, that we're people of integrity and honesty and morality and truthfulness. And others may someday ask, and what's this Christianity thing all about with you? The call of Jesus is a call to all of us. The call to vocation is a call to all of us. It's not just a call to clergy, to pastors, to missionaries. That's an older view that God calls women and men to ministry to a vocation, but leaves everybody else to their own devices. Martin Luther in the 16th century indicated that that was wrong. He believed in the priesthood of all believers, that the call of God to be a priest is to all women and men, the call of God and of God's Spirit to serve God wherever we find ourselves in our daily lives is God's vocation. That's where we work out the nitty-gritty of what it means to follow Him, the call of loving God and loving our neighbors. For some, it will be to be a pastor, to be a missionary, but for the vast majority of followers of Jesus, it means the law or medicine or business or teaching or farming or politics. It means music, art, construction, bus driving, street cleaning, plumbing, and for many, parenting and even caring for parents. The call of God. The call of God and the secret of the call of God is to discover that God is in the midst of our lives, that following Jesus is integral to everything we do, everything. Going to China like Eric Liddell did, but also running. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. My brother-in-law's father, Willie Kilpatrick, was a joiner, a carpenter. He worked for a little firm in the village in Lanarkshire, Scotland, where he lived all of his life, where he had found Jesus. I remember sometime after he died, I was preaching in a church near to where he lived, and I was speaking with a deacon prior to the morning service, and the deacon found out who I was, and he said, oh, I I knew your brother-in-law's father. In fact, I worked for him. He was my overseer. He taught me how to be a joiner, and he also helped me to come to know Jesus as my friend and my Savior. And after telling me a, a fairly long, complicated story, he was finishing it off, and he said, oh, and by the way, he was a good joiner. call of God is to repent, to believe, to follow, and to fish, and in all, to feel the pleasure of God upon us. Will you pray with me? God of grace, for the love that you have shown us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for the good news of the coming of the kingdom, for his call to follow and to fish. May we hear 
and may we obey. For his dear name's sake, we ask it. Amen. Our hymn of response and promise, commitment is 660. O Master, let me walk with thee. Let's stand to sing this hymn together. <laughs> Please bow your heads. Father, we are here today to worship you, to study your word, and to fellowship with our fellow Christians. As we prepare our tithes and offerings, please help us to remember your incredible generosity to us and help us to give back to you with that same incredible generosity. Amen.
Lord, bless these tithes and offerings, and may they be used as we as a church family seek to follow you day by day. Amen. Take a seat for just a moment. We've been reminded time, several times a day that God is seen in many things all around us. God is at work all around us. God is at work in us. And as we go out, we go out to follow the one who has called us each by name, the one who has called us to be those instruments of love, mercy, and grace in his name. This week as we go out, we go out with opportunities day by day to do all of those things, to minister to people all around us, to one another, to those that we may encounter through the work in the workplace, at school, in our communities. May we do so with joy, and may we do so in a way that we also sense God's pleasure in that process. Be mindful of those events of this week. You'll see those printed in the, in the order of worship. But would you stand as we prepare to go out and receive the benediction? May the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God be with each and every one of us throughout the days of this coming week. Amen.